Okay, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you. I hate to end all the fellowship in the sanctuary, but if you want to make your way back to your seats. Hey. I'm impressed with the energy on daylight savings time. No one seems to be dragging this morning. You guys sound great. Everybody, I'm glad to see you guys. So to those in the sanctuary, greetings. To those who are worshiping in the gym and those at home, I'm so glad that we get to join together this morning. Just a few announcements for us as we begin today. Two things for today. First of all, for kids first to fourth grade, kids worship resumes today. So I am excited, and I think the parents look excited as well. But it'll be after the prayer time. So we'll go through the, the songs at the beginning. We'll have our prayer time. At the end of the prayer time, you'll be dismissed. So boys and girls, it's been a while. You'll go to these two doors right here, and the kids' worship team will dismiss you towards the gym building. And so that's just during the sermon, so after the prayer time. Not before, after the prayer time, boys and girls, you'll be dismissed. You'll go down, that, down those doors right there and head over to the gym. So parents... When the service is over, we need you to go to the gym building, go down to the blue hallway on the back to room number seven. Your kids will be back there. So we need you to pick them up and then come back to fellowship. So don't stay in here a long time. Go pick up your kids from kids' worship, then come back in here to fellowship. Now, also this afternoon, we have a special prayer gathering for the whole church family to come together. We're calling it a Reflection, Lament, and Hope prayer gathering. That'll be today at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. 2020 was a hard year on so many different levels in our personal lives, and our church family, as well as in the nation, in the community with the ongoing challenges of COVID. So we want to follow the pattern in the Psalms this afternoon. We want to lament together. We want to be honest with the Lord about the pain we felt. We want to be honest with the Lord about our struggles, and we want to have an opportunity as a church family to bring those to the Lord together, to reflect, to lament, but ultimately to put our hope in the Lord. So we hope you guys will all come join us at four o'clock today. Now to the men of the church, we have a special opportunity for you coming up in two weeks on March 26th and 27th of Friday and Saturday. It's a men's backpacking trip. We're going to be up at Chihau Mountain and hope you guys will join us. Now the difference on this one, this is open to elementary age boys with their dads and teenage sons with their dads as well. So dads, you can bring your kids along on this one, your boys along on this one. We'd love for you to join us. It won't be too challenging. I think Mike's got us planning just about a seven mile trail over the two days up on top of Chihau Mountain. And so we'd love to have you guys join us for that. Just two more things. First, Easter's coming soon. It's hard to believe, right? But Easter's here in just a few weeks. Several upcoming opportunities. There'll be a Good Friday service with communion on Good Friday at 7 p.m. We'll have a community Easter sunrise service just down the street with some friends at Grace Presbyterian and Legacy Anglican Churches as we come together for an Easter sunrise service on Easter Sunday at 6.30. And then here on campus at 9 a.m., we'll have our regular Bible study groups on Easter Sunday. We'll follow our normal schedule with the 10.30 worship celebration on Easter Sunday. Now, one last thing, I don't have a slide for you on this one, but just to let you know, we're a part of the Montgomery Baptist Association. They have a huge food pantry ministry to minister to the needy and the poor in our community. We have a chance over the next two weeks to help stock their food pantry and get the supplies they need to minister to the poor in the community. So be watching your email this week. We'll be sending you a list of supplies the Montgomery Baptists need, and so I hope you'll take part in that in helping us minister to the needy here in the community. As we prepare our hearts to worship this morning, I can I ask you to stand, please, as I read God's word for us? I'm going to read from Psalm number 86 this morning as we focus this morning in our sermon and in our songs on how great God is. In our sermon this morning, we're going to be looking at the question of what is God? And so we're going to be singing all about that in these next three songs to point us to the nature and the character of God. But I want to read from Psalm 86 to get us thinking about who God is this morning. In Psalm 86, the psalmist says, Glad in the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good. And forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. 
Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of shale. Let's sing to God this morning. from the depths into your freedom our chains are gone and no weapon formed shall prevail and your word is stronger and we've overcome glory resounds through the age all saints declaring your great renown your kingdom forever will stand we won't be shaken we will not fear and our God a mighty warrior you're a consuming fire Jesus, the great commander, you conquered death forever. In victory you reign, we triumph in your name. Your glory resounds through the age, all saints declaring. Your great renown, your kingdom forever will stand, and we won't be shaken, and we will not fear. And I got a mighty warrior, you're a consuming fire. In victory you reign, we triumph in your name. Jesus, the great commander. Death forever in victory, you reign. We try. 
consuming fire in victory you reign we triumph in your name jesus the great commander you conquered death You're the light of all and all that we need. 
Father, I pray that that would be true in our hearts this morning as we sing how great you are. In Isaiah 45, you declare, there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. To me, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. This morning, Lord, as we gather to bow our hearts and worship to you, the only God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, come to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, who has made it possible for us to approach your throne of grace. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we serve a sovereign God, a sovereign God who is merciful and gracious and patient with us. Lord, this morning we want to confess that our hearts are often divided. Instead of finding hope and joy in you, our great God, we often look to earthly pleasures. Forgive us. Help our unbelief and give us hearts to love and desire you above all things. This morning as we pray, Lord, we pray for the Gateway Young Adult Ministry, led by Zach and Rachel Stewart and Parker Harris. Father, I pray that as they lead that group, that they would continue to grow in their relationship with you to see how great and awesome you are. And as they meet each week, that they would encourage one another in the word and in truth. May your word sanctify and grow them in the grace and knowledge of you. Lord, we pray for the Mixed Tech Church and the Highland Gardens community. We pray for Pastor John and Lisa Rose as they serve that community. Lord, I pray that many would hear the gospel and respond, that you would open eyes and ears to your truth. Lord, we pray for Young Meadows Presbyterian Church and Pastor Jay Joy. Lord, thank you for the ministry they have and their faithfulness. Thank you for Pastor Joy as he continues to preach your word faithfully. And we pray for the members there that you would continue to equip them and empower them to disciple others and to share one another's burdens. Lord, thank you for the, the faithful churches in this area. And I just pray, Lord, for, for Young Meadows, Lord, that you continue to allow them to see much fruit in their ministry. Father, we pray this morning for our government officials. Lord, you tell us in Timothy to pray for them. We pray for the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for our congressmen and our local leaders. God, we pray most of all that you would open their eyes to see their need for a Savior. God, we need in this land desperately need an awakening of who you are and how great and holy you are. God, we pray that you would turn their hearts towards you. Lord, in regards to global missions, we think of Myanmar and the people there. Uh, we think of uh, a new believer, Mr. Wilson, who was a Buddhist monk who was saved and baptized a year ago. Lord, we praise you for that, and we pray that uh, his life would be a testimony of your power, and may he be bold with the gospel. We do also pray for the people of Myanmar who are suffering under military rule, the things that are going on right now, and the many who are just hurting and the uncertainty in their lives. We pray for the believers in that country that they would hold fast to you and be a witness to those who are in need and those who are suffering. Pray that the gospel would go forth in the midst of that turmoil and that your name would be exalted. Lord, we pray this morning for our children who are worshiping, who will be going heading to children's worship. We just pray for the, the workers there that they would explain the gospel clearly and these children would hear more and more about you and their hearts would be open to your truth. Lord, I pray that you would raise up children in this congregation who would go to the ends of the earth 
to share the gospel with those in need. Lord, I pray for our children that they would be pillars in your kingdom. God, that you would use them in a great way. Lord, we pray for the offering that's going to be given this morning that's already been given. We pray that you would use it to further your kingdom and to multiply disciples. Lord, I pray for Pastor Grady as he comes. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide his thoughts, that you would give him boldness and clarity as he lifts up your name, as he brings the word to us, and that we would be careful hearers this morning of your word. And that, Lord, we would seek not to just be hearers, but also doers as we leave this place. I ask that you would equip us this morning with your truth. And, Lord, if someone in this room or someone online right now is watching who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation. God, use this, and may you be exalted and glorified. Bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's precious name. children you are dismissed to kids worship so if you want to head that way which would be good because my tablet just crashed and all the parents said amen well it is good to see you gateway family if this doesn't come up we will go back to the paper copy this morning which is my keep one <clears throat> We'll go old-fashioned today, okay? There we go. Well, it is good to see you this morning, Gateway family, as we're continuing our journey and being rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I just want to remind you of why we do what we do this morning. Our goal is for us to better understand what we believe. We want to understand what we believe for several reasons. One, for our own good. We need to know what we believe for our own maturity, for our own growing in Christ's likeness. We also need to know what we believe as well, friends, for our own stability. This is a hard world, and there's much that attacks us and much that tries to sway us, and so we need to know what we believe for our stability as well. We also want to know what we believe and grow in that for the good of one another, because what we, understanding what we believe in being rooted unites us. It draws us together. It gives us a precious unity that God creates. We also need it to help each other grow. But this is not just about us and our friends. We want to grow in being rooted for the good of the lost. We want to be able to take the gospel to the world. So we need to understand what we believe. Now, the tool that we're using to guide us through this and this journey this year is something we call a catechism. A catechism is just a tool, a learning technique. We ask a series of questions, and then we give the answers to it. And it's designed to instruct. And we're using a catechism called the New City Catechism. Now, last week we began with a very first fundamental question. What is our only hope? In life and death. What is our only hope in life and death? And we saw the answer from John chapter 10 that we are not our own, but we belong to God. That we are not our own, but we belong to God in both life and death. And I pray you've been reflecting on that this week. I pray you've been using the tools that we have available to help you this week on that. If you don't have a catechism book yet, they're all over the campus, in the back of the sanctuary, in the back of the gym, in the hallways, in the lobbies. You'll find them everywhere. The kids have booklets as well. They're at the kiosk check-in down there. And if you don't have the free app, please get it. That app is a great tool to help you review and memorize these truths that we've been talking about. I hope you've been discussing it at home with your friends. Well, this morning, I want you to find Psalm 102 this morning. Psalm 102. We're coming to the second question of our catechism this morning. And this second question is essential to everything else we will discuss. And the question for our consideration this morning is simply this. What is God? Now, how's that for a question for the morning? What is God? God, this is an essential question for us, but I was joking with some friends that I really need about six months, I feel like, to answer this question. I understand the limitations of trying to answer the question, what is God, 
in just 30 minutes. If you were with us about four years ago, my first year as your pastor, we did a Wednesday night teaching series on the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. If you remember back to then, if you were with us at that time, it took us 21 weeks on Wednesday nights. We spent an hour and a half each week for 21 weeks looking at 21 descriptions of God. So I recognize the limitations of trying to answer what took us 21 weeks before in about 30 minutes this morning. But I want this to be a starting point. I want this to be a root from which everything else will grow in our study of what is God. Now, before I answer this question for us, you have to excuse the paper moving this morning, but um, is before I answer the question, I want to remind us this question is not just some theoretical question. This question is not just some philosophical question for us. How we answer the question, what is God, is immensely practical for our lives. Now, think back to last week, friends. We saw last week that our hope was found in belonging to God. Our hope was found in being held by Him, what we saw in John 10. Now, if our hope is found in being held by God, we know who the God is who's holding us. Because there's not hope found in being held generally. There's no hope of being held at gunpoint, right? There's no hope if you're being held prisoner. There's no hope if you're being held by a kidnapper. The hope is found in the one who is holding you. So you find hope if you're a child and you're struggling and your parents who, you, who love you are holding you. That's where you find hope because you know the character of the one who's holding you. If you're struggling on a hard day and your spouse holds you, you find hope because of the one who's holding you. If you're with your friends and you're just about at a breaking point and your friends are holding you, you find hope because of the character of the one holding you. So friends, if we want hope in this life, our hope is going to be found in being held by God. Our hope is contingent on the one who is holding us in his or her Nature. So we know the nature of the one holding us and the nature of our creator, the nature of God, friends. So this morning as we read from Psalm 102 this morning, I want us to look at what do we learn about the nature of God and how does that give us hope? What do we learn about the nature of God and how does that give us hope? So can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God, Psalm number 102. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 28 this morning. I'm reading out the English Standard Version and you also have the words on the screen. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your unchanging word and the truth of it. And God, I pray this morning... Your word would come alive to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us understand this truth of who you are, that Lord, we will find hope in being held by you as we better understand your character and your nature. So take your word this morning and use it, Lord, to anchor us more in the knowledge of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, so what is God? Well, the question, the answer from our catechism book this morning, from the adult answer, we'll start with the beginning. It's simply this, that God is the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. That God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. At the foundation of understanding who is God, that he is the creator, he spoke and he made everything, but he also holds it. This is all of creation, and this is us as well. But if you've read ahead in the catechism, you know there's a much longer answer than that. They say God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. They go and say he is eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power, perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice and truth. Nothing happens except through him, and by his will. Now, at the breakfast table this morning, I was reading that longer answer to my kids, and one of my kids said to me, Dad, that would take you six months to preach through that answer. And I think there's some truth to that, so I'm going to simplify that list of all those things that were described as attributes to this. He is both great and good. You think everything else in that answer, it boils down to that, that God is both great 
and God is also good, that he is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, and he is both great and he is good. So I want us to dig in on that this morning in Psalm 102. Now, before we get back into the text of Psalm 102, to understand the psalm we're looking at, think back to our journey through the psalms about a year and a half or so ago. When we studied the psalms, we saw there's different genres, different types of psalms, and there's different ways that you approach the psalms depending on the genre. But this particular psalm has elements of two types in it. Part of it is penitential. That means where you're repenting of sins, you're dealing with your own brokenness in life. But an important part for us this morning, this psalm also is a lament psalm. If you remember the lament psalms, these are the psalms to where the authors of the psalms are dealing with the brokenness and the hardships of life. And they're taking those to the Lord. And so this is a lament psalm. We do not know what the trial is this particular author is having, but he's in some type of suffering, some type of hardship. He's going to take it to the Lord in prayer. And so what happens in Psalm 102, it really does follow a lament pattern. In the first two verses, you can almost, if your Bible breaks up stanzas like mine does, the first two verses are stanza, and he begins crying out to the Lord. In verses 3 through 11, the next block, you see the next stanza, he talks to God about his hardship. He laments the trials. And if we're honest, what you read, he looks like he's complaining, because he is complaining to God about the hardships he's facing. He's being honest with God about what he's feeling in his heart. Then in the next stanza, in verses 12 to 17 there, he's affirming his faith in God. This is so important. If you think back to the lament psalms, in the laments, the authors are very honest with God. Here's my struggle. But they don't just say they are complaining to God. They then reaffirm their faith in God, and they use that to re-anchor themselves. You see both in here. So in 12 to 17, the author affirms his faith in God. Then in the next stanza, in verses 18 to 22, he begins to praise God and begin to instruct others. In verses 23 and 24, the next stanza, he laments again. He repeats his lament. And then what we come to this morning is that final stanza, the psalm of lament. And this is his final praise to God. What you have here is his faith has been strengthened. He's been honest to the Lord in prayer about his struggle. He has reminded himself of God's promises and God's character. And then at the end, he's able to, as he journeys in prayer with God here, he's able to praise God with this beautiful text that we come to this morning. Now, what's so significant about this particular verses we're reading this morning They're so important, they're quoted in the New Testament as well. But you see, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. See if this doesn't sound familiar. I want to read through this for us. In Hebrews 1, 10, this is describing Christ now and the nature of Christ. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Let's go into verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Then in verse 12, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Should sound familiar because it's a quote straight from Psalm 102 that we are looking at this morning. This text, this concept is so important. It's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, basically word for word here, describing for us the nature of God. So it's a great text to look at as we answer the question, what is God? So go back to Psalm 102 this morning. We're going to start back in verse 25 of this. And let's start with the foundational truth. What is God? That God is the creator of everyone and everything. That God is the creator of everyone and everything. At the foundation, to answer the question, what is God, is the truth that there was nothing that came before God. That there was nothing that predated him. There's nothing that created him. That God is independent. That he is the creator. And there was nothing that made him. There's nothing that he did not make. That God is the creator of everyone and everything. Look at verse 25 here. Remember, this is poetry in the Psalms. And there's some symmetry here that's beautiful. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now, when you look at this particular verse, you see this phrase, the earth, and right next to it, the heavens. In the Hebrew, the phrase, the earth and the heavens, is a special type of phrase to where you use extremes to mean everything in between. 
So we see in the Psalms this poetic expression, the heavens and the earth, or the earth and the heavens, is by design a type of writing to not just mean heaven and not just mean earth, but mean literally everything that's in between those. So a more literal translation for us today might be, previously, God, you laid the foundations of everything. In all of it, we see the work of your hands. It's just trying to help us capture that everything that exists was made by God. I took my, my older boys backpacking Thursday and Friday. We went up to Chiha Wilderness, and as we sat there at night with a campfire, and there's no light around because you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere, you look up at the night sky, there wasn't a cloud sky, and the brilliance of the stars was everywhere. And you think about the galaxies that are there in space, and you think about the stars, and you realize that God spoke and made all of that. You look at our own planet and the water going down those mountain streams and the trees and the animals, everything was made by God here. That means from the tiniest electrons to the greatest stars and other galaxies, from the tiniest bacteria that can get into our water supply to the greatest whales in the ocean, from the people here in Montgomery to the people in Myanmar that we were praying for earlier, everything and everyone has been made by God. There was absolutely nothing that exists that was not made by Him. I love how it says in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, Verse 1, again, we're thinking about Christ here in John. In the beginning was the Word, and this is just a title for Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 2, we see, He was in the beginning with God. Now notice this in verse 3. All things were made through Him. How many things? All. All things were made. And without Him was not anything made. It was made. Everything that exists, again, from those tiny electrons to the galaxies and other, other galaxies, from the bacteria to the whales, everything in between that you can think of was made by God. And friends, we're going to explore this more in a few weeks, but that means the created order is intentional. This is not accidental. It was all made by a sovereign God by design and for a purpose. Now hold that thought because we're going to come back to that over the next few weeks. But for now, God is the creator of everyone and everything. What is God? He is the creator. But there's more than just that because God did not just create it and just kind of let it run its course and be all hands off. God has a plan and all these things to also sustain what he made. So God is not only the creator of everyone and everything, God is the sustainer of everyone and everything. And we see that truth in Psalm 102 as well. Go back to Psalm 102 that we see that God sustains the created order, the everything, and God also sustains his people, the everyone. So let's start with God sustains his created order. Go back to verse 26 here. It says, They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. Now, hold on, that doesn't sound like sustaining, does it? At first glance, we're reading this verse, and it's telling us that things are perishing and dying, and they're going to remain, and, the, and God remains. They're going to wear out like a garment. Now, how is this sustaining? How is this God sustaining things? Well, look at where it goes in the latter part of verse 26 here. It says, you, God, will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Now, don't miss this. Even in looking at things perishing and things wearing out and things being changed, you see the plan of God sustaining these. Because this latter half of the verse, that you will change them like a rope, this is future tense. This is describing what is still to come. This is pointing today when Christ returns and he makes all things new. I want you to see it up on the screen, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, in 2 Peter 3, we have a beautiful picture here of what is described for us and what's happening here. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the work in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So you have this picture of what Psalm 02 is pointing to. This time when the earth will dissolve as we know it. Back to verse 11 there as we move forward in 2 Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now in verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, 
and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Not a pretty picture yet, right? But verse 13, here we go. This is what it's all about. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All this description here in Psalm 102 of the heavens and earth perishing and them wearing out like a garment and God changing. This is not a lack of God sustaining them. Rather, it's God sustaining them until the day that he restores them and makes them new. You see in this verse in Psalm 102 here, the intentionality of a sovereign God where everything is working to the day that he restores and makes everything the way it was when it was created. When everything is restored to perfection. When there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so even in Psalm 102, though, the focus is God's creation. We see God sustaining it because that day that we're just seeing in 2 Peter will not come prematurely. That day is not going to happen by chance, but rather God has a perfect timeline for that, and he's working everything to that day. That's why what Colossians 1.17 reminds us is true as we build up to that day or after that. But in Colossians 1.17, I think we got it out there for you. And he, God, is before all things. And in him, how many things? All things hold together. Even as we deal with the brokenness of this world, even as we deal with the hardships of this life, everything is building together towards this day when God makes everything new because he is sustaining it. God is not just the creator, but he is the sustainer of everyone and everything. And friends, I want to remind us this is a very personal truth for us as God's people because God is sustaining us as well. Remember the author of Psalm 102 is in a trial. He is struggling with some hardship, some affliction. As he remembers that God is the creator, as he remembers that God is the sustainer, look at how personal it becomes for him. Look down in verse 28 of Psalm 102. He says, The children of your servants shall dwell secure, and their offspring shall be established before you. The children of your servants, the next generation of those who follow God now, and then their offspring. The picture here is the generations that follow God. The followers of God at this point, their children and their children. The generations of God's followers. And notice the hope here. It says, They shall dwell secure. They shall. There's certainty here. This will happen. This is a promise that they will dwell. That means they will live or abide in a secure way. Now, we need to clarify this because our minds can race the wrong way very quickly. To dwell secure does not mean a pain-free life. does not mean an easy life. does not mean a financially prosperous life. We said it over and over here, but I want to remind us that God's plan for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, healthiest, wealthiest way possible. That's not God's plan for us. The promise of dwelling secure is something much better than that. The promise of dwelling secure is the promise that we are known by God. It's the promise that we are being loved by God. The promise that we are being held by God. The promise that we have His presence even through the hardships of life. And the promise that day when there's a new heavens and a new earth that we will be with him for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth without pain, without suffering, without temptation, that that eternity is awaiting us. That is what the promise of dwelling secure is. Not an easy life now, but something so much richer than that, that we are secure in Christ now and will be for all eternity. I love how the prophet Isaiah describes in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. This is a beautiful picture of Isaiah saying something very similar. He says, listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth. Just stop there and let that one sink in. He says, you were born by me before you were even born. Like he had a plan for them even earlier and carried from the womb. Now in verse 4 here, listen to what he says. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry. I will carry and will save. Friends, we have the hope as God's followers that we dwell secure throughout all the hardships of this life, and we dwell secure with him for all eternity. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, and that includes us as his children. 
Now, friends, if we think about this particular truth, that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, the focus of that has been on what God does, right? God creates, God sustains. But if you think about what God does here, you see a lot about his character as well. And again, we spent 20-something weeks on this back several years ago, looking at the character of God, and there's so much we could say about the character of God, but I want to simplify it this morning to what do we see about the character of God when we think about him creating and sustaining? You see, he's both great and he is both good. Let's start with the fact that God is great. Look back at verses 25 to 27. Just as we read these three verses, look for where we see the greatness of God here. Verse 25, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Now, what do we see about God's greatness here? We give you five things from this particular psalm. Now, again, there's more than 21 we did several years ago, so I'm going to give you five of the 21 we studied several years ago. But five aspects of God's greatness I don't want you to miss here. And this number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That simply means that he is the ruler over everything. That God has the right to rule over everything, to do whatever he pleases. God has to answer to no one else. God can do whatever God pleases. We see that in this psalm here. He's the one who created. Why? Because it pleased him. He sustains it because it pleases him. He will change it when it pleases him. All this is because he is the sovereign ruler. He does what God desires to do, and he has to answer to no one for that. Again, Isaiah 46 that we were looking at a minute ago gives a great picture. Isaiah 46 verse 9 gives us more of a glimpse into this idea of God's sovereignty. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Now look at verse 10 of Isaiah 46 here. Notice what he says. He says, I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. Now just chew on that and let that sink in there. God is saying, I declare what's going to happen before it ever happens. I declare from ancient times ago things that still haven't happened yet, saying my counsel will stand. I will accomplish my purpose. God had a plan before he ever made the world, and it will surely happen because he is sovereign over all things. If you go to our catechism book, the adult answer in the bigger book simply describes this, the last phrase of his beautiful. He says, nothing happens except through him and by his will. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. He is sovereign, and we see that here in Psalm 1. The second thing we see is closely related. That is that God is omnipotent. That's just a big word. Omni means all, potent means powerful. That God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. This is part of his sovereignty. If you think about it in terms of nations and countries, if a country says we're sovereign over our land and they don't have an army, well, that sovereignty goes away pretty quickly, right? Because another nation goes, yeah, you're sovereign over, but now we are. We have the bigger army. We're taking over your land. God is sovereign, not just in saying I have the right to do it. He's sovereign and he's omnipotent, so he has the power to be sovereign over everything. He has the power to do whatever he wants to do. God is limitless in his power, and nothing can stop him. Again, we see that in Psalm 1 and 2. He speaks, and the world comes into being. He will speak in the future and change the entire universe like a robe. The imagery in forest, friends, in the morning, as easy as it was for you to take off your dirty clothes and put on your clean clothes, that ease you did that with is the same ease which God will completely restore the whole heavens and the earth and restore the entire creation in the sound of his voice with that type of ease because he is all powerful. That's what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Now notice this, nothing is too hard for you. That's God's omnipotence. There's nothing that God cannot do. There's never a point that God's going to look at that and be like, Ugh, that one's too tough. I'm going to have to rest a while to do that. 
God has all power, and in the sound of his voice, he can speak everything into existence in six days. In the sound of his voice, he can do whatever he wants to do at any point, any time. He's sovereign. He's also omnipotent. Number three, he's omnipresent. Again, omni, all, present, being location. Just a big word to mean God is everywhere. Friends, we are so limited, aren't we? We can only be at one place at one time. You know, we joke sometimes that it'd be nice to clone ourselves so that we could be more places and do more things, but we can't. We're limited by God's design, but God is not. There is nowhere that God is not. So God is sovereign over everything, and he's everywhere. God is all-powerful, and he's everywhere. He is omnipresent. It's how the psalmist describes it in Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8. He says, the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? The answer, of course, is nowhere. Where shall I flee from your presence? And again, the answer is nowhere. Now, verse 8, he gives us again the extremes to help us see that God is everywhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There is nowhere that God is not. Now, that's why we have the comments. Go back to Psalm 102, the very end of verse 28. In the midst of the afflictions, the psalmist says, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Why? Because there's nowhere they can be taken or go that God is not with them. Now, again, we don't know exactly what this, who this author of the psalm is or where they were at the time, but a lot of the scholars who've researched this believe this particular psalm was written during the Babylonian exile, when God's people had been taken, forced from their homeland to a foreign nation, and were in captivity far away from their homes and everything they loved. They believe perhaps that's when this was written. So if that's the case, friends, that context is so real that these people have been taken from their homes, from everything they love, and yet they're able to say, our children will dwell secure. Why? Because God is with them, whether they're in captivity, or whether they're back home in Israel, wherever they are, God is right there with them, and there's hope in that. So God is sovereign, God is omnipotent, God is omnipresent. Number four, God is eternal. As if these other things can't make our minds hurt, this one makes my mind hurt even more. God is eternal. That means he always existed. God has no beginning point. Friends, we are so finite and so limited. Everything for us has a starting point and end point. I mean, when I took my boys hiking this week, we had a starting point, we had an ending point. You know, in our lives, we have our birthday and we have, we'll have the day that we die. Everything we know has a starting point and an end point. And God had no starting point. There was no point back there where there was no God. He just always was there. That means he also will always be there. He has no beginning and no end, just always, always, always God. And also because of that being eternal, that means he's outside of time. Again, make our minds hurt on this a little bit. Do you realize time is a creation of God? The time is when God created the world, he also created time. That means there was a time when there was no time, right? Our language is so limited here. There was a a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was nothing but God, and there wasn't the sequence of moments that we associate with life. There was just God and nothing else, and all of his infiniteness and greatness for all eternity, as far back as you think, with nothing else, just God. The psalmist alludes to this here in Psalm, 26, in Psalm 102, and look at verses 26 and 27. He says, they will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But notice this, verse 27. But you are the same, and your years have no end. God is eternal. There's no end point to him. We see the same thing earlier in Psalm number 90, and I love this phrase in Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, verse 1, I want you to see this. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Okay, this is what we've been alluding to at the end of the Psalms here. Why can it be that? Because he says in verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting, as far back as you can even imagine and throwing a few trillion years on top of that, there was already God. And as far as you can possibly imagine throwing a few trillion years on that end, there was just 
God. God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. So in Psalm 102, we see he's sovereign, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's eternal. Number five, he's immutable. That's just a big word that means he's unchanging. Think of a mutation means something changes. To be immutable means you do not change, that God is unchanging. Unlike us, where we're so fickle, we have good moods and bad moods, and we think this way one day, we think that way another day. We're so changing. God is immutable. He is unchanging. God is the same today as he was before there was time. God is the same today as he'll be in 150 trillion years, give or take a few from now, right? God is unchanging in everything about him, in his character, and his nature, and he is unchanging. Look at verse 27 again in Psalm 1 and 2. But you are the same. You are the same. God does not change, friends, and I've said it before, but we need to find the hope in that. We don't have to wake up today and wonder if God's in a good mood or a bad mood. You know, my kids have to wake up and be like, is dad stressed today or not stressed today? You know, I can have mood changes, and that can affect my family. You can do the same thing, but God doesn't. We don't have to wonder what God's mood is today. God is unchanging. He's always the same. I love how the prophet Malachi says it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 here. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Our hope is found in the steadfast, unchanging nature of of God. And friends, that's, there's so much more. That's just five of the 21 we studied several years ago, but five from this particular psalm that God is sovereign and ruling, and he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere, and he's eternal and outside of time, and always existed, and always will, and he will never change in all this. And that's just a small glimpse of the greatness of God. If you want to go a lot deeper in that, there's a whole shelf in the resource center just down the hall with a book called Systematic Theology, and there's an abridged version called Bible Doctrine. There's several chapters in there just on the attributes, the characteristics of God. There's several books out there that are just on the characteristics of God, where just chapter by chapter, they take you through the nature of God. If you want to go deeper on that, I would encourage you to grab some of those resources. But if you want to summarize the greatness of God, I think the text the New City Catechism picks may be one of the best for it. Psalm chapter 86, verse 10, to bring together the greatness of God. I love this. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. God is great. Remember, there's a flip side of that. As we think about all of God's attributes, he's not only great, he's also good. And we need to keep both these in view. There are two sides of the same coin. You have God's greatness, but also his goodness. That This all-powerful, all-glorious, sovereign, eternal, omnipotent, sovereign king has not hidden himself from us, is not distant from us. He has revealed himself to us. He cares for us. He is with us. He is good to us. Still in Psalm 86, the text in your catechism book, there's two verses here that just really capture his goodness to us. Look at verse number 13, Psalm 86, 13. For great is your steadfast love towards me. Notice how personal this is, the goodness of God towards us, his children. Great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And then in verse number 15, we see several of these attributes of God's goodness in here. But you, O Lord, are a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's merciful. That means he doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't treat us like our sins deserve, but he's also gracious. That means he gives us things that we do not deserve. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding. He's overflowing in his steadfast love, his unchanging love, and his faithfulness towards his people. There's such hope in that, that this amazing, all-glorious, sovereign creator has redeemed us from our sin and giving us mercy He's given us grace upon grace, as we see. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's adopted us. He's holding us, and he has a plan for our lives. Therefore, when we get our mind around God's goodness to us, we can declare, like Psalm 102, verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. 
Now, friends, it's important we keep both of these in view, both the greatness of God and the goodness of God. Because if we forget either, we're going to err either way. And depending on your personality and my personality, we're going to err, we're going to have a default towards one or the other. Some people focus on the greatness of God to the exclusion of the goodness of God. And they get fascinated by the theology and the philosophy and the, trying to get their minds around all these attributes we talked about. And they only think about the greatness of God and they miss his goodness. And so they know a lot about God, but they don't know God personally if we keep the greatness without the goodness. But perhaps in our culture, the greater danger is the flip, isn't it? People get focused on the goodness of God without the greatness of God. And they think about his love and his nearness and his mercy and his kindness, but then they don't think about his holiness and his grandeur and his glory and his righteousness and all these things. And so God ends up being relegated to a God who's your personal cheerleader, your personal life coach, and we tend to excuse sin. But friends, if by God's grace we're rooted in both, in understanding his greatness and his goodness, we understand his sovereignty and his glory and his holiness and his justice and all those things. We also understand his love and his mercy, and we keep those in balance to see God for who he really is. We find a secure place, don't we? When we think about the greatness of God and we're in awe of him, but we also think about his goodness to us, we find a secure place, knowing this amazing God who is all-powerful and everywhere is right with us, holding us as well. God is the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. He's both great and good. I've got two questions for us as we wrap up this morning, friends. Number one, which of those parts of God's character do you tend to focus on more at the exclusion of the other? Do you have those in balance? Or you, as, you, as you read God's word, as you read your devotions, as you ponder God, do you think about his greatness? Do you think about his goodness? Do you think about both? Or do you tend to focus on one or the other? We need to see both God's greatness and his goodness. We want to find that security. But second question for you this morning, do you know this God? Is this God for who he's revealed himself to be? Not a God that we've imagined, not a God who fits all of our boxes and does everything the way we want to, to do, but the God who is the great I am, who's a sovereign, eternal creator, who spoke the world into being, who's still holding it and sustaining it, and the God who wants us to know him and experience him. Friends, do you know him for who he's shown himself to be? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are both great and good. Father, what an incredible thought that is, that we get to talk to you the creator, you who are eternal, you who are sovereign, you who are all-powerful, you who are everywhere, God, you who need absolutely nothing, have invited us into your presence to talk to you. Lord, I pray this week that you would grow me and you grow these precious brothers and sisters in understanding these truths, that, God, that you are the creator of everything we see, but, God, you're also the creator of us. God, I pray that that truth would be precious to us, knowing that our lives are not accidents, that our lives are in your intentional plan because you made us to know you and you made us to glorify you. So anchor us this week in knowing that we are made by you. But Lord, would you also anchor us this week in knowing that we are being held by you. Lord, we know that life is hard. But we know that there's so many in our church family who are walking through so many different types of trials. But Lord, I pray that would be our anchor today and this week and in the years and years to come, Lord. We know that you've not only made us for a purpose, but you're sustaining us, and nothing can break towards your sovereign plan. But I pray as well you would anchor us in the truth that you are both great and good. Lord, you know each of our hearts, and you know our propensity if we tend to think about one without the other. But God, I pray this week that you would just root us all week long and think about your greatness. And there'd be so many reminders this week of your sovereignty and your power and your presence and your eternality and your unchangeableness and all these other attributes. But God, you'd remind us this week of how great you are. But Lord, as you do that, I pray there'd be so many reminders this week of your personal love for us, of 
your mercy and your grace upon your grace and all those spiritual blessings that you give to us. And I pray as we dwell on these things and think about you as creator and sustainer, as great and good, that God, that it would fill our hearts with hope that would overflow to others as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? We're going to sing this morning what we've just been studying in God's word. How great God is. Let's sing how great thou art.
confirmation of what we believe and rooted in the answer to our question. So our question, what is God? Let's say this together, friends. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is both great and good. Father, we give you praise that you are great and good and the creator and sustainer of everyone. I pray that our lives reflect that trust in you and that confidence in you all this week, that you would get the glory and we find the joy of walking with our sovereign creator all this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Parents, don't forget to get your kids off the blue hallway in the gym building.